Welcome to the Redeemer Covenant Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are dedicated to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. If you want to stay connected to all that's happening here, visit rcctulsa.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So this morning, we want to take a look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. If you'll turn in your Bibles, the Bibles in front of you or behind you, if you'll turn to the book of Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8, I want to unpack what is the theme verse for our campaign, but it's also one of the theme verses for the Christian life. It comes from Philippians 1, 6. We're going to take a look at this verse and in some detail because it is a profoundly important verse, not only for our church right now, but for the whole of our Christian experience and lives. Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. This is the overflow of the Apostle Paul's heart to a people whom he deeply, deeply loved. It's a church he helped to begin. It's a church of people who became for him uh, beloved friends. They were Paul's partners in the gospel. And here's the oddity of it when it comes to the generosity of these people. The Philippian church was a very poor church. They were a poor church situated in a very poor region. And Paul is specifically thanking them in this passage for the generosity of their giving to the mission of Paul the Apostle. Paul right now is in Rome as he's writing this. He's in a prison. He's 700 miles away from this church he loves and part of the Mediterranean Sea separates them. But Paul is writing with thankfulness for what they had done for the advance of the gospel in the church in Philippi and to his own missionary endeavors as it cost some money to sail and to travel and to do all that he did. Paul was perfectly willing to work for his living, but their gifts helped the advance of the gospel go forward. So here, this poor church, poor in the sense of financial realities, here this poor church is hearing this message of Paul about his deep, deep gratitude for their work in advancing the message of Christ. So as he writes this, he not only thanks them for their generosity, he reminds them of an important biblical and theological reality that is simply the truth for all Christians. He reminds them that God is the one who began the good work in their lives, that their commitments had been launched onto the great journey of the Christian faith and in verse 6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on 
bring it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. That's the one verse I want to spend most of our time on this morning because this undergirds all that we're attempting to do over the next month or so. It's a critical verse. It's a really important one. Paul says he's confident. In what is Paul confident? Is Paul confident in himself? Perhaps some of the time, but that's not what he's referring to. Is he confident in the church in Philippi? Yes, but it's qualified. This was a church with lots of stresses, lots of strife, lots of struggles. Most of the early churches had a similar problem. Philippi was not exempted from that. So the church of the Philippians was a church that struggled. His confidence is not really in them, though he has some confidence in them. His confidence is in the work of God in their lives. Because God had begun a good work in the Philippians' lives, and Paul was promising that, he is, that God is going to bring that good work to completion. So just for a moment, picture your own life. Picture your own life in Christ. Perhaps you're picturing a moment when you really gave your life to Christ for the first time. Perhaps you were a child and you had the privilege of being raised in a home in which Christ was honored and, and your turning to Christ happened at an early age. Maybe you were a teenager, high school. Maybe you were a college student in those years when we start to really kind of ask a lot of hard questions about life and about the meaning of life and where am I going with my life and all of those sorts of questions. And somebody somewhere shared the gospel with you or you were simply reading in the, in the scriptures and you just encountered God. This is what Paul's referring to. This season, this time in which the life of Christ was begun in you. That's what he's confident in, that God began something really important during that season of your life, that at that moment, God had begun a good work in you and these people who, for whom he greatly, greatly loved. Now, here's the reality. Fast forward. Fast forward from the times in your life when you really encountered Christ. Fast forward from the time in your life when you first gave yourself to Christ. Fast forward to those days when your life becomes harder and more challenging and more difficult. And the faith walk for you is three steps forward or two back or sometimes two steps forward and three back. And you're struggling with it. And your, 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 your life in Christ is starting to kind of falter a little bit. This is what Paul's talking about to a group of people in a church that had their struggles, that had their difficulties. There is this thing in Christian theology called the doctrine of assurance. The doctrine of assurance is just fancy language for saying, God, once having grabbed your attention, God, once having gotten a hold of you, will never, ever, ever let you go. He won't do it. He won't do it. And oddly enough, nothing you can do will make him do it. God will hold on to you. God will carry you to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And I'll go on to explain more about that in a moment. But God will never let you go. The word began in this passage is only used two times in the New Testament. And that's not 
a meaning that says, well, it's not very important then. Actually, Paul is grabbing for a word with a special quality to it, a special understanding. It's the same word that governments use for the inauguration of a leader. A man or woman takes the office and they raise their hand and they pledge to the Constitution and whomever else that they will be faithful to defending their office. This is the language Paul is using here. Your faith journey, whenever it began, that was God's inauguration moment for you. That was the moment God inaugurated you into the Christian life. And though you made a decision for Christ, God made a promise. You made a decision, God made a promise. The promise was, I will never leave nor forsake you. And in fact, I am instituting a forever friendship with you. And I will never, ever, ever let you go. God has promised to bring us to completion. That's who he is and that's what he's always done. Now there's a couple of ways of coming to completion. One is Christ returns in the second coming and then we're all made complete on that day and it's wonderful, all right? It's great, it all happens at once. But outside of the Lord coming back or our own death, we live this life, and as we live this life, we are moving ever more to completion. That's God's goal for us. That's God's journey for us. The truth is we have all stumbled along the way. Every single one of us has stumbled. I don't know what your stumbling was, and I don't have to know, but we've all stumbled. We've all read the Bible until we don't. Many of us have started reading the Old Testament and we want to read the Old Testament because we think we should read the Old Testament. And that's a great idea. And we get through Genesis, we get through Exodus, we get to Leviticus, we stop reading. (laughs) I don't get this, I don't understand this. But we all had good intentions. We all stumble in some way. We all have a habit of coming to church until we don't. We all have a habit of giving our tithes and offerings to the work of God in the world until we don't. Time, finances, personal failures, fatigue, they cause us to burn out or feel too much guilt to come back and to be generous toward God again or to be a part of a Bible study again. So we just sort of stagnate. Maybe we even go backwards. And all the while, God is just waiting. He's just waiting because he never gives up on us. He's always willing to wait, but he's also always willing to try to nudge us back home. But he never, ever gives up on us. In fact, when you, speaking of the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, you think, wow, these people, they really blew it. I mean, over and over again, you read the text and they, they, they failed to follow the message. They, they ran away from God. They turned to idols. They were disobedient. And, and yet God said, these are a people whom I deeply love and I will never, ever, 
ever give up on them. And the same is true for the people of God today. There's a wonderful spiritual writer from the 16th century named Ignatius. And he says that all of God's people go through two seasons of life. There's just, he boils it down to two seasons. And it's sort of a cycle. And he says one season of life is the season of consolation. When basically everything's going pretty well. And good things are happening in your life. And your relationships are solid and your work is going okay. And you feel reasonably close to God. And life's, life is good. Season of consolation. And then he says, this says there's a season of desolation. A season when, frankly, nothing feels like, it was, like it's going okay. God seems distant. You're depressed or you're sad or you go through a, 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 an exceedingly difficult loss in your life and you're just desolate. You're just left desolate. Now, whether these seasons are accurate or inaccurate or whatever, I think it's a, a, a point worth making that whether you're in a season of consolation or desolation, whether you're in a season where things are going wonderfully well or things are just not the way you would like them to be, Verse 1, 6 of Philippians still applies. God is every day, in every possible way, working to bring you to completion in Christ. And God will use the circumstances of your life, the good ones and the very painful ones, to bring you ever more to a series of events and feelings and thoughts and actions primarily that bring you closer to the living God who promised that he would never, ever give up on you. As we enter this time, this special season of a month of, of remembering God's blessing to us as a church family, as we enter this time of considering our generosity and considering the decisions we make about our own followership of Christ, I would simply say whether it's a season of consolation or desolation, just remember through this whole process, God will not give up on you. God will not give up on his church. And God has the work of the people of God in mind for the watching world who so desperately needs us. God will do this. And for the next few weeks, we just invite you into a time of discovery. A time of discovery of whatever it might be that God speaks to you in the quiet of your own heart about what's the next step for you. Part of this is just kind of wrapped in a mystery. Because sometimes we see the real visible evidence of God's work and it's glorious when we see it. It's a wonderful thing when we see this visible sign of God's work in our lives. We would generally call that a season of consolation, and that may well be. But God is at work in us even in seasons when things are not going our way. God is working all the time to bring us further into relationship with him, with God's people, and with God's work in the world. 
That's what God does. My prayers and my hopes for the next few weeks in the life of Redeemer would be that God would do a new and fresh work in you and you would be able to recognize it, whatever that might be, and for whatever issue in your life. This isn't all about just generosity. This is about all that God does in us and through us as individuals and as a church. And I pray you're not in a season of desolation, but they come to all of us. And in a season of desolation, God's promise remains. He will never, ever, ever let you go. The original beginning of your faith journey with Christ will never be canceled. God has promised this. This is the promise of God that he will bring to completion to us, to all of us, until the day of Christ Jesus. And if you're in a season of consolation and life is going well, I hope you'll just use this season of your life to just thank God in ways that you've not thanked him before, to just externally express your gratitude, to just give God another piece of your heart and say, thank you, God. Thank you for the way that you have blessed my life. So together, as we claim ourselves and admit freely, we are unfinished people. God wants to complete the process for us of becoming ever more like his son. And for a church that itself is unfinished, God wants to use this time to move us forward with some fresh thinking and new prayers and um, a new energy generated toward being engaged with folks who really need a season of consolation in their life. As we prepare for communion this morning and we have this time together at the table to remember God's faithfulness and his blessings and his gifts to us, let's pray for a moment. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being with us in every season of our lives. In the difficult seasons, you've been with us. And our minds trace through the ways in which you blessed us and cared for us in those really difficult seasons of life when things were just really hard. And God, we remember that you're also with us in those seasons of amazing consolation when you're with us in ways that are just almost astonishing and our hearts pour forth with gratitude for your great love. God, you're with us through it all. And in this act of Holy Communion together, we remember that you gave this as a memory of your presence and the promise of the Holy Spirit's gathering with us as we celebrate and reenact in this simple way, that Last Supper event. So for your promises to your people, for your promises to the church, including this one, for your willingness to never give up on us, we approach the table with glad hearts. Through Christ we pray, amen.